Here we go. Today is Sunday, November 17th, 2019, and this is episode 240 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you, sir? So good. It hurts. How are you? Uh, About the same. I'm uh, feeling great, feeling strong, Uh, and my final reassembly surgery, where I'm going to go in and put all the Lego pieces back together, is coming up very soon. And then I can put this weird year behind me. Awesome! It's kind of like been be, a uh, like a like a, a you need a mulligan, I guess, right? Seriously, um, I mentioned on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that I'm pretty much an introvert, uh, but I found that about seven months of medically induced hermitage—I think that's a word—of being a hermit is my limit. I'm now probably going to be obnoxiously social in 2020. <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to seeing how that works out. But otherwise, everything's good, and you know, I'm just cruising along, looking forward to getting this final surgery done, getting recovered from that, and in theory, being back to normal, fully recovered. They tell me that's great. That's great news. So, uh, um, let's see. Just a thank you to all of our Patreon donors. I Absolutely, you guys are awesome. Sincerely appreciate you. Um, you know, if you do like the show, please give us some love on iTunes or your favorite podcast website, which we should be on most of them now. Uh, let's see. I'm not even going to talk about, uh, you know, opinions and whatnot. You, you all get that. So, hey, let's jump into some stories. Since you skipped our disclaimer, this is the show that will get us sued. Excellent. Move on. As if that disclaimer is going to help us. Yeah. Fair. All right. So the uh, the first story we have tonight comes from Ars Technica, and the title is Breach Affecting One Million Was Caught Only After Hacker Maxed Out Target Storage. Yeah. So so this is a um, an incident involving a company called Infotrex Systems, and uh, it came to light because the Federal Trade Commission here in the U.S., filed a formal complaint against them and uh and they in in this complaint identify that between 2014 and 2016 some adversary accessed their network and systems 17 times before uh, a final three times where they uh they, they actually did start stealing actual data and the only way or only reason that the breach came to light was as the headline kind of alludes to uh, the the adversary was not very careful and in the process of compiling all of the data for exfiltration ended up filling up the hard drive on on a server which uh, became a noticeable availability problem that that the uh, the company investigated and then it kind of all unwound so interesting uh, it it is and in some ways it almost buries the lead because something that I found interesting was the FTC is suing them, right. which we've not seen a lot. And so then it starts to become interesting in my, in my mind. 
what level of due diligence is something like the FTC looking for for a company to have done reasonable enough security that they're not going to get sued when they get breached? Because I, I think it's somewhat fair to say that even the companies with the best security-ish can get breached. So at some point, you can look at a breach like somebody smashing through the front door of your business. You know, you did what you could. Uh, you locked the door and they still smashed in. Okay, that's not necessarily the owner's fault. But what, where it is their fault is, you know, they leave the door unlocked, they leave valuables out, you know, that kind of thing. Then you start to blame the owner a little bit. So I'm kind of curious if the FTC is suing this company. Clearly, they feel the company did a poor job at security. And are we now going to get to a point where the FTC or some other government organization is sort of defining minimum viable security, which seems like an incredibly difficult thing to do for you know millions of different organizations? I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, and is this something that we're going to regret long term uh, that – when there's things that aren't, I know a lot of people say, hey, hold them accountable, bl blame them. But we have seen over and over and over and over and over again, this is a really complex problem and we suck at solving it. So it's not just a matter of do your job better. There's more to it than that. Yeah, so, so over the years, uh, the FTC has sued a number of different companies, including a couple of notable cases where the 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 target of the lawsuit actually ended up going out of business. I think was it LabCorp? It was uh, it was something like that. It may not be. Yeah, that's a really infamous case that's yeah. still ongoing. So, uh, in in one and, of the, oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, and, and there's actually a whole book about that. Uh, the Devil in the Beltway, I think, is the name of it. And it's actually an Atlanta-based company, too. I met the guy who ran it, oddly enough, at an aviation event. But uh, that one's weird because he was the, the victim in many ways uh, and kind of got sued into oblivion by the FTC. And that's still an ongoing case, but that's a whole different yeah, kind of ball of wax. So, so that that case and a number of others has you know, caused a, a lot of criticism to be directed at the FTC because there's no safe harbor, you know, there's no, there's no, um, you know, kind of objective criteria that if you follow and you still get breached that, you know, you, you're guaranteed that they, that the FTC wouldn't come after you. And, and, you know, this is kind of still is the case. And in, intuitively there seems to be some kind of threshold beyond which the FTC feels like they have to take action. And I think where where a lot of people are consternating is we we don't really know where that threshold is and nor do we actually know if that threshold is you know kind of constant. When you when you read the complaint against Infotrax, you know, it's kind of hard to feel super bad about them because it seems like they were they were storing data that they didn't need and they just didn't have kind of the a lot of the basic controls in place but you know it, at some level there's a you know it, it's kind of tautological that if you you know if you end up having a breach or are the subject of a breach something went wrong which means that your controls somehow in some way were deficient or not functioning correctly and and so so therefore you, you can imagine that you oh, know okay but but let's let's play that out let's say 
a vulnerability comes out that's on your external facing web app and it's being actively exploited mm-hmm. and day one it comes out day seven you're exploited you would have patched it by day 14 right right so what's the threshold is day 14 is 14 days fast enough for a sophisticated public facing e-commerce website that you are very concerned about downtime and uh, customer friction and or is seven days fast enough or is 30 minutes fast you know where is the balance between business and risk uh, that could be enforced yeah. and that's where you know it gets so fuzzy I, I think that from from the perspective of you know of, of uh, regulators and and uh, plaintiffs lawyers it 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 only matters that the breach happens it doesn't you know if it if it happens you waited too long right whether that was 30 minutes or 7 days it but that's just not realistic i mean it's like if you take it back out to the physical world you're a taxi company you're uber you you're going to have auto vehicle accidents mm-hmm. right they're terrible they're People might die. You don't want them to happen. But we have normalized that risk. We've accepted that risk will occur. In this case, it seems like the FTC is saying, we, you know, I, I don't want to put words in the mouth, but we are at risk of saying no breach might ever occur or we're going to deeply punish your business to potentially put it out of business. And that doesn't seem viable. You, If you're online and you're running any sort of IT-centric business, there will be risk. It's unavoidable. And that risk, at some point, somebody's going to roll the hard six, and you're going to lose, and somebody's going to exploit you. Well, it's certainly f- fair, although I'm, I'm not sure we have completely normalized the car incident. I mean, you know, you get tickets. You, sometimes you go to jail for reckless driving or... Um, uh, that's true. You know, or, and, and it also doesn't stop you from being sued by... You know, by if, I mean, look, drive around any city, and you'll see plenty of billboards advertising uh, lawyers willing to, uh, you know, take your your case to recover money from your 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 neck injury. Yeah, uh, that's true. So that's true. Although normally, it's I mean, to play that out even more, insurance often covers that. But yeah, if, you're not you're not wrong. F- fair if, enough. If, maybe we're just still very young in this problem. And we haven't figured out the right balance. I know this is not even the point of the story. I just no, but but it is the point of the story. To be to be candid, I think it is um, from one of the interesting things about this to me is it points out the you know the 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 kind of inextricable link between security and and law and regulation, and you know we I, I think sometimes we get. Um, in the security field, we kind of we lose that uh, we you know, we lose that linkage, we lose that context, and you know it's, to some extent we again it's it's going to be different for each individual company who has different risk appetites, but I think the you know the, this points out that there is a legal component. I mean, not just a, not just an honor, you know, like the, it's the honorable thing to do to protect the data. It's also you know, it's also a, a, a legal issue, and in in some cases, it's 
um, you know, more prominent than others because, you know, I have like the GDPR now and, and we've had HIPAA for, for quite some time. And we, you know, there's a bunch of new regulations like the CCPA in California and the LGPD down in Brazil and, and lots more um, on the way. But in this particular case, this, this, as far as I can tell, kind of evaded any, you know, any one of those other regulations. And so the FTC, you know, kind of sees this as their, um, you know, their, their, their call to action where, where there's no other uh, you know, regulation to, to, uh, to get them. That's fair. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying that there should be consequence free outcomes for these breaches. I'm just trying to understand how do we as businesses know what appropriate due diligence is to avoid, you know, at least the minimum level of punishment coming from these various government entities. You know, you look at like PCI, for instance, it's very, we have a story on this. It's very prescriptive. And that at least gives a business a target. Now, again, compliance is not security. Let me be clear, but at least gives clear guidance. And this is what, you know, I'm a little frustrated about in things like this is that how do you give a, uh, such a complex topic like this clear guidance? I don't think we know yet. I think it's on a case by case, you know, very subjective nature, uh, which is got to drive certain executives crazy. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, like I said, this is uh this is an, an area where I think lots of companies, you know, struggle, especially with the FTC, because there is no, there is no firm guidance. And by the way, it, it's, it's also interesting when you look at some of the other laws, again, like the GDPR, you know, while it's a, it's a very long and meandering regulation, it also doesn't have clear guidance either. And so, so that itself is, um, you know, is a, this is a pervasive problem. And so I think what we see well, is companies... I think with the GDPR, the problem is translating it from the original Latin, we lose a lot in English, I think is the problem. Well, that's actually, I think it was in Aramaic first, wasn't it? Was it? Then, then it was into Latin and then... Wasn't yeah. it in Greek for a while, ancient Greek? Probably, probably. Yeah. So uh, anyway, what what we see, I think a lot of, in at least I see in in GDPR land... And I think we're starting to see it in some of these other regulations, and and maybe it's a, it's a partial answer for for this is uh, companies aligning themselves with what they perceive as industry best practices, whether it's ISO twenty seven thousand or NIST or COBIT or you know something like that, where they can go back to a regulator and say, look, you know, yeah, we obviously something went wrong, right? But we we, you know, we we tried. We tried very hard, and we, you know, here's what we have done. We, you know, we followed this industry standard uh, program, and, um, and and so I think that's that's what really all we have to go on in in general. That's and that's kind of what I'm seeing out in the wild right now. Yeah, that makes some sense. It it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, and if and how we ever get to something. Yeah. And more predictable it, which is good because i mean as we all know if you have your your uh, iso 27000 attestation um you know hackers aren't really allowed to target you anymore they have to they have to move on they have to go find right. some other target so 
Absolutely. You just, you kind of, it's kind of like your food safety right. uh, inspection sign you put up on the wall. Correct. Yeah. The elevator uh, certificate, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when is your new book on 27,000 uh, certification passing coming out as clearly you're <laughs> pimping it? Clearly. Clearly. No. I was, you know, you just gave me an idea. I got to go work on that now. All right, uh, moving on to our next story. This one comes from CSO Online, and the title is What You Need to Know About the New OWASP API Security Top 10 List. Uh, I, I thought this was worth talking about because it's kind of a new um, a new spin on an old concept. Uh, you know, we, we're all familiar with the OWASP Top 10, uh, which has historically been focused on web application vulnerabilities, but they've, uh, they've since expanded that right not really expanded but created a new uh, similar type of concept focused on api security and they point out here in the article that you know a kind of uh, you know under our under our noses apis have become really really pervasive according to uh, akamai they which claims that 83 uh, percent an akamai report claims that 83 percent of all web traffic is actually api calls so that's um, you know pretty significant. By twenty twenty one, APIs you, will account for ninety percent. Do you think that's being driven by mobile? Almost certainly. Have, I mean, heavily so. I think yes. Yeah, that was my take. Yeah. Now I I, I also suspect it depends on how you count, right? Because obviously API traffic is not the same as uh, like streaming Netflix videos or pornography. So if so if you if you measure it by raw bandwidth, I bet you API calls are not. Uh, but if you were to probably think about things in transaction terms, I bet it is APIs. So now we know what consumes the majority of bandwidth in your household. Actually, you know, I have uh, I I moved over to um, Ubiquity uh, network gear, and and so it kind of shows you some interesting pie charts and uh, like. You know the the one pie chart is like seventy five percent PlayStation games. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I guess that could be. Well, as a random aside, I just switched online cloud backup vendors, which means I had to do a you know full backup again. Oh yeah. I started getting nasty grams from my ISP that I was exceeding my bandwidth uh, limitation for the uh, for the month. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I have teenagers, so I had to opt for the uh, unlimited bandwidth, which is probably our non-U.S. listeners are probably like, what the hell is is that? We live in the dark ages. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Comcast makes it really, really easy to get to your limit super fast. Um, and then, and it's then, true. And then they charge you. Uh, so anyway, uh, back on back on point here. You know the the the. Uh, one of the objectives of this is is to you call attention to the common misconfigurations and, and issues with APIs. And they point out that there's been a number of high-profile breaches over the past uh, couple of years, many of which we've actually talked about, like Panera Bread and more recently uh, Capital One. Although Capital One is kind of a... You know they put it. They clearly put the Capital One breach into the, you know, in, into scope for this discussion. But you know that one is hard to. I mean, it, that was a, a a really edge case. I think. Um, I'm not. Yeah, not, I would not, agree. Not that it is an uncommon 
problem, but it was difficult yeah, to say it's like an API uh, issue. Right, an API call was involved, but it was not the fault or the cause. Correct. I mean, it, it, right. It would. It kind of assumes, it, or I should say, it kind of implies that the API provider, which was Amazon, had some weakness, and that's really not. Uh, yeah, that's case. like saying that an exploit said over HTTPS uh, that HTTPS is at fault. There no, you go. not really. There you go. So anyway, they uh, they, they they have a list of ten, uh, you know, top ten issues. There are some uh, criticisms uh, levied against the top ten in this article. Which is, I was summarized by saying, well, you know, this whole API thing is really complicated. And, it, and geez, it would be really nice if we actually had prescriptive guidance, which is the perennial issue with these kinds of of things, you know. So, so yes, the, the top 10 are are kind of high level, and, and but the, it's with everything else. They don't provide enough guidance by themselves to, um, you know, to, to take action with. But it does point out that you know, as as time goes on, we need to bake this into our development program. I actually think this is more of a, you know, of a IT and develop development issue than it is necessarily an IT security issue. Well, it comes down to educating your developers about these issues. Correct. And getting them to care. Right. But they point out that you know, there's it is really difficult to actually test. For these kinds of problems, that you know, you, you can't you can't run a vulnerability scanner and find it and find many of these API issues. You can't, um, you know, they point out the problems with static and dynamic testing, and so so it's it really is one of these cases where you, you would are best served in having the you know having these things developed uh, correctly in the first place. And they actually also point out that unlike many other uh, human interface type technologies when you are creating APIs and you release an API and then you later find that there's some fundamental issue that has to be fixed is really painful because you've got uh, you've know, got an ecosystem typically that's sprung up around the consumption of that API now everything that relies on it conceivably has to also be changed and so so it's not just um, you know, fixing your your web app behind the scenes that nobody notices. We've had guidance for years that fixing a security problem in development is much cheaper than fixing it in production. Sure. But that hasn't necessarily resonated much in terms of getting developers to become educated and being allowed to focus on it. So it's it's the old story all over again. The sooner you can catch a bug, the cheaper. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I'm thinking about is, yeah, so the various static and dynamic code testing suites will probably start adding support for these top 10, but who knows how effective those tests will be given the nature of APIs. So there could end up with a false sense of security if, you know, you run whatever your favorite web application code testing tool is, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're fine. Eh, be careful. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, moving on to our next story. This one comes from Security Week, and the title is PCI DSS Compliance Between Audits is Declining, according to Verizon. So Verizon recently released this uh, this new report. That it's titled Verizon 2019 Payment Security Report. 
it's actually a really interesting read it although it's 90 pages long so there's no way it can do it justice in uh in just a couple of minutes here but um I actually think this is number one. The, the concepts that they discuss in this uh, report are very useful, far beyond just PCI. That a lot of the report talks about fundamental IT security governance and and whatnot. Yeah, there's lots of discussion about about PCI, and as you can tell by the you know the title, the one of the the main findings that are pointing out is that. Um, after uh, you know, after a uh, a PCI audit, um, as we've talked about in the past, you know, when a company gets bre- a PCI compliant company gets breached, uh, the a QSA it's not actually QSA. I forget the acronym. Um, you know, an auditor comes out and and evaluates them. And PC, uh, sorry, Verizon is pointing out that when they come in and do those investigations, they found that no company, which was you know, previously assessed to be PCI compliant was actually PCI compliant at the time. And so by implication, the, you know, the, the compliance in quotes uh, of that organization, you know, went off a cliff after the, you know, after the PCI audit. Now I have a, a fundamental issue in concept with that, you know, with that quote, although I will say it's, it's discussed in the article, the Security Week article, more than it is in the in the actual report. But the um, you know in concept, if you think about what we know about data breaches, is they typically take a long time to materialize. I mean, in the case of the one we talked about earlier, it was like two years, and we know from other data breach reports it takes you know six to you, eighteen months. When you say materialize, you mean be discovered? Yes. Okay, not actually occur, but be discovered. Correct. Yes. Okay. So from the Sorry. time from the time the 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 intrusion until the time that it's um, it's recognized, it's it can take a long time, uh, which probably spans uh, you know a PCI audit. So quite likely, in 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 I don't know, it, you know exactly how many cases <laughs> would be like this, but. Uh, you know, almost certainly there are regularly uh, QSA audits for PCI DSS that assert compliance for an organization who's actively being breached, which is yeah. f- fascinating to think about. Well, you know, without giving away any confidential information, my experience having worked for a number of different PCI regulated businesses is that whenever, you know, depending on what level of PCI you're being audited at, it is a mad scramble to fix the problems when PC auditors are coming around. Or, frankly, to hide those problems. And it's been very clear to me, and that this is what this article absolutely echoes, we don't do our day-to-day business with PCI in mind. It might be somewhere in the back of our head, and when I say we, I mean the entire IT organization. Uh, and then it's up to the security guys to go find those PCI violations and then beg, borrow, and steal to get them fixed. So, and I think that's what this this article is summarizing 
we can't look at it as an annual or quarterly activity. It's got to be day by day built into our thinking. And it's not. It just isn't for most companies I've interacted with who have dealt with these types of types of things. So it doesn't surprise me at all that even if they were 100% PCI compliant, weren't hiding anything, weren't playing any shenanigans, didn't do the kabuki dance with the auditor, that a month later, enough stuff has changed in the environment that they're no longer PCI compliant. And I think that's probably the state of affairs for most companies. And it's not, you know, the term is continuous compliance that I've heard is one example of this methodology of keeping yourself up to up to compliance standards all the time. It's either really hard or not of interest to a lot of the rest of the IT organization. And we've now trained our environments that we've got this annual mad scramble and then we don't have to worry about it in many cases. Yeah, it's the whole it's the whole concept of teaching for the test, right? It's you're 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 just foc- myopically focused on passing the the audit. They they do point out in you know to to the the credit of the authors of this report, they point out that there's really three likely possibilities of why this happens. One was um, you know that they uh, they were actually compliant at the time of the audit, but they did they did regress after like you just described another another possibility is that the assessor missed some non-compliance which is not hard to think that that's uh, likely to be the case in most IT environments are are fairly complex and you know it's not not really possible or, I don't think to ch- to test for everything or the auditor was bamboozled yeah and then that that's the third one is that the assessor didn't get a full what they what they said they didn't get a full disclosure from the company. And well, yeah, yeah, I mean, especially for a large complex company, typically what I have seen, and that's all my, lots of grains of salt applied to this, they ask for a sample, a randomized sample of a control that they're testing against. And it's very possible that that randomized sample is compliant, whereas things that were not included in that randomized sample are not. Right. And, they can't test everything. It's, it's just not viable. Uh, so it's there's a whole lot of ways piece of violation can slip through the cracks. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, they, so Verizon is it is Verizon's view. It, it, at some point in this uh, article or in the report, I should say, is Verizon's view that if an organization is actually fully compliant with all of the PCA requirements that they very likely would always avoid or um, you know, sufficiently uh, early enough identify attacks sufficient to prevent them from actually occurring, which is probably true because, I mean, when you think about it, there's, um, you know, the, the, the scope of PCI is pretty, pretty broad and then it has a risk assessment requirement which you know you could argue well that should catch anything that the other requirements don't don't identify so um now it it occurred to me and i and i compare and contrast this against something that i have a lot of experience with which is uh, bank regulators and what my observation of bank regulators are that they are are less focused 
on what like, like what PCI is doing, where they're actually you know in the weeds testing what bank regulators are looking for. Again, this is just Jerry's experience is the management of the company and, and and ensuring that the management system that's in place is sufficient to ensure that you know as you talked about the continuous compliance program is in, in you know is functional that's what they're really out there looking because they, you know from their perspective they're only you know they're they're only in place or they're only uh, you know looking at an organization at a at a snapshot in time and then they go away for some period of time and it's up to the company and which I think is kind of the point of this article it's up to the company to continue running things in a secure fashion and and that is I think the Achilles heel of the PCI program is that it's not really focused on driving changes from a management perspective it's trying to drive changes from a technical and you know an, an actual environmental standpoint so uh, i you know i think if if there were if i were to give the pci crowd or 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 you know governance committee some suggestions it would be to focus more on management and and a little bit less on the technical compliance yeah you know i would counter that though the, the nice thing about pci is it is very prescriptive and that gives very clear guidance for a lot of the organization what they need to do. I think where organizations are falling down is they're not taking this technical guidance and building that program on top of it that management needs to manage. And and fair, fair. You know that's something that yeah the regulator the PCI teams the, you know organizations could could push that, but I think a wise organization would learn that on their own. I mean, another example I can think of is when a company scrambles to get PCI compliant before the audit or during the audit, it's really disruptive. But if yes. they were, if they were compliant from the beginning, it wouldn't be right. You know, so there's, there's, there's downtime. There's, you know, there's all these sort of things that are just, you know, we don't learn from our mistakes. We just keep, you know, kicking the mule and wonder why it kicks back. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, you know, if it, 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 in order for it to be really effective, it's good, it has to be baked into your, into the fabric of your operations. It can't, it can't be an adjunct. It can't like this is not a different discussion than you had a, a couple of minutes ago, where it, it has to be baked in. Can't be, yeah. can't be. Uh, uh, tried to bolt on, which is you know, look, I. I that concept has been thrown around since I first got into security 20 years ago. So I suspect in 20 years, we'll still be talking about, you know, we should be baking security in. So flogging the deceased equine as it were. Yes. All right. So the, uh, the last story comes from Krebs on security. And this one is fascinating to me as a, as a data type nerd type person. I thought it was because you were a serial killer, but okay. Well, uh, you know, um, title is study ransomware data breaches at hospitals tied to uptick in fatal heart attacks. Um, so you can kind of now. Now to be clear, this is not heart attacks within the IT security team. Correct. When I first saw that headline, that was honestly the, what what I was thinking. To be candid, <laughs> uh, you know, having having uh, worked in that 
not in the health field, right, but um, just in, in data breaches in, in general are, are quite stressful. So, um, so it's pretty interesting that the there's a a group at Vanderbilt University that looked at some data and you know that was publicly available through the Health and Human Services. Um, one one was related to patient care and, and outcomes. So they they looked at two specific um, rel, re, relatively readily available data points. One was the time to uh, from from a, from entry into an emergency room and um, with a complaint of heart problems until the time that an ECG or electrocardiogram was delivered. And then the other is the um, the 30-day mortality rate of certain types of, uh, of heart attacks. Uh, and, and so they, they compared that against, uh, or really they, they looked at that against a population of hospitals that had had a, a data breach slash ransomware incident and those that did not. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting academic report but at the you know at the end of the day they do find a very minor uh correlation between hospitals that had uh, a, a ransomware data breach and um in reduced patient outcomes or you know reduced uh, reduced patient care in the case of the mortality rate they they, they say it's about a, a 0.23 to 0.36% increase in uh, in fatalities over 30 days, which is not a huge number. It's 23 people out of 10,000, which is, I mean, that's still, uh, you know. Hey, if you're one of those 23, it matters. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I say it that way because it's on the edge of statistical relevance. That's why I say it that way. Not because those 23 people don't matter. Obviously, Every you know, even one person is is too many. Um, you know, but it is difficult once you start getting into into you know that small of a number. And then from a, a delay to delivering echocardiograms, they found a, a one point four minute to two point seven minute delay. And now, why does this happen? Well, it's actually because is you know is is hypothesized by this group here that in the aftermath of a data breach. You know what happens, right? We we issue the letter that says, well, you know, we take your data security and privacy very seriously, and and in the aftermath of those data breaches, organizations go on a mad scramble to implement new security controls, typically. And so the hypothesis of these researchers is that in you know in hospitals are no different in that particular case, and they actually have a quote in here. You know, which I, I, I don't know is fully supported by the data, but this is kind. Of, this is their a quote out of the report: "Enhanced security measures in response to a data breach are likely to worsen the usability of the health IT system, which not only excuse me, which not only diminishes the effectiveness of its intended function, but also spawns new errors that worsen the quality of care provided to patients." Installation of new health IT requires clinicians and staff to learn new processes, procedures, and ways to coordinate their workflow. 
and and so you know the the point of this is and you know, again the, the report kind of meanders and they talk about how uh you know in the immediate aftermath of a data breach when when the hospitals put in new security controls there's a uh, you know they believe a period of time where the clinicians and doctors and nurses try to work around the contr- the new controls and that creates other problems because now you can't well and they have and they have every moral authority in their mind to do so. They're saving absolutely, lives. Absolutely, absolutely. And these damn security people are getting in the way of saving a life. Absolutely. And I'm not. I'm not saying that ironically. I'm not trying to make a joke. It, you know. So you can see that they're. <laughs> what's the word I want to lose here? That use here is, you know, their reward system. Their, you know, what they're trying to do is the most important thing more so than anything else in their world. Yeah. The data breach, the the data breach outcome in their mind is secondary. Like I think I, I assume the average doctor would rather have a data breach than lose a patient. Sure. Uh, you know, so uh, it makes for a really interesting balance of priorities. And I've never worked in the healthcare environment. We have a good friend who does. Uh, I, I won't call him out because he's probably screaming at his podcast player right now. And, you know, I'm sure he deals with this every single day. And it's really, really, really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it, it, so if you expand this out a bit, I, it, I was, was thinking about this. Lots of lots of companies and organizations in many different industries have these issues. I mean, you know, the the city of Atlanta where we live, or near where we live, is a is a great example. You know, we had the had a pretty massive ransomware outbreak. I guess it was last year. Now feels like it was forever ago, but um, you know, and and there's lots of you know lots of public hoopla about the amount of money that it costs like i don't remember the last tally i think it was like 18 million dollars but a lot of that cost was implementing new controls it wasn't you know that they that it was 18 million dollars in damages it was that you know we had lots of what i would assume to be pet projects that were on the shelf suddenly funded you know things that that had been uh you know security controls that had not received uh, not seen the light of day uh, there's suddenly an appetite to go and do that and so i i have a sus- strong suspicion that you know this is it's not just a problem in healthcare obviously in healthcare the you know the downside uh is you know is measured in lives right whereas Probably most other organizations, it's measured in employee dissatisfaction and well, reduced, you know, efficiency and and. I would take it one things. step further too that even for those who, it wasn't a fatal event, malpractice, you know, lifelong disability. Sure. I, I mean, I don't know what other outcomes could have been negatively impacted. That's a good. That's a very good point. Right. Yeah, so it could be, you know, I, I think... As someone who's going to get surgery in a couple of weeks, now I'm scared crapless. Look what you've done. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... It, it's, it's I'm just going to walk in and unplug their internet connection before they start. Just ask them if they've had a data breach recently. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Excuse me, anesthesiologist, before you put me to sleep... <laughs> 
Well, you've got to send you, them the vendor questionnaire, right? I was going to send them the spreadsheet. <laughs> send them the spreadsheet. That's that's what you have to do. I mean, it's very simple. Um, you know, if I don't make it, this this conversation is going to come back to haunt you. Well, that could be. That could be. Uh, but you know what? It, it's it was interesting in the uh, in in this this um, this study. They point out that with respect to um, this the certain type of heart uh, heart condition, the the mortality, the thirty day mortality rate on a yearly basis has been going down like four tenths of a percent per year, and the, and that you know effectively when a, a hospital has a data breach, it undoes that right. So it you know it, it negates the year over year improvement in outcomes. Um, which, did, did they say how long that effect lasts? A month, six well, months, a year? Well, so th- so they've um, multiple years, basically. Wow. Yeah, and and the 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 disadvantage here is that they only considered a data set from I think it was 2012 to 2017, and uh, because that was really only data that they had available. So so the I, you know I don't know that we have a good line of sight on. You know, we, this, need, we need more studies, is what it comes down to. Yeah, more studies in in you know longer longer time horizons to look at that because I mean if if you go back, hospitals I suspect didn't wrestle with ransomware infection infections in the uh, two thousand you know the early two thousands. It, it probably was just a very oh. rare. I mean, their leech management systems weren't online at that time. Correct. That's true. Yeah, the uh, right bloodletting and all that was still being done very manually, not. Not uh, not automated yet. That's that's very true. <laughs> it is, it is quite interesting to see the pneumatic pipes that they ship the leeches around in these days. It's uh, it's quite something. Well, I mean, they don't want to touch them, so yeah. You know, and certain leeches get a reputation as being better than others, right? And they kind of level up, and and you you know you get the stars that are put on the head of the good leeches. The rock star, yeah. Right. Rockstar you know, leeches, yeah. But, you know, it also makes me think, okay, does there come a point, because clearly advancing the technology aids in the outcome is is probably a safe assumption. In other words, using newer technology, better technology, allows the clinicians, the doctors, the nurses, whomever, better outcome for their patients. But are we going about it wrong? In other words, should they be more isolated somehow or somehow more resilient to these environments? I don't even know how to do that, right? But it's one of those things of where does the technology advance go become a value diminishing returns because of these sorts of incidents? And I have no idea. Um, but it seems like an area ripe for research and ripe for study. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um I, th- I, 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 my intuition is that we're not close to that threshold. We're not we're not close to that inflection point, and the, so there's probably still lots of, you know, lots of upside to, um, you know, to improvements derived from technology. I mean, look, we're we're just now at the cusp of really starting to use things like machine learning, you know, for for helping to diagnose. Uh, you know, diagnose ailments and whatnot. 
and and you know over over time that's going to continue you know continue on but one of those one of the fundamental things that's predicated on is having data right that knowing the history of the patient and and having all that stuff be readily available and, and consumable and and um anyway i think the i think the point of the uh, of this study was to to help maybe drive some behavioral changes in in uh, organizations like health and human services you know who i mean they have a they have this thing that's, you know it's a f- informally called the wall of shame right it, which is where where uh, organizations that have had a hipaa data breach they get their their name and information about the data breach posted on this wall of shame and i think the the point is you know this this may it kind of like after, in the wake of september 11th you know when it, when people stopped flying there's there's a you know pretty pretty well accepted although some somewhat um statistically questionable concept that you know lots more people died from increased car crashes because people weren't driving they were driving a lot or they weren't flying they were driving significantly uh, more than they were flying and and the you know the the fatality rate of driving is just orders of magnitude higher than uh, than it is if you're if you're flying commercially uh, you know it's a similar kind of concern here that if we are uh, you know are we, are we are we driving the wrong incentive i mean obviously we don't want data breaches but is though is that you know the, the the mandate to reduce those data breaches coming at the cost the unintended cost of um you know of, of reduced patient care uh, you know again totally not my not my area but it's it's fascinating to think about yeah i i agree it's uh you're right, and and just to be clear, not my area either, but we'll talk about it anyway, like it is, because you know, yeah, the yeah. value of the advice in the show is worth exactly what you pay for it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. But you know, I again, I, 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 it's it's an interesting thing to think about in the abstract. This this concept is, I think, again, most acute in in healthcare because it's counted, it's measured in lives. Uh, but I suspect the concept exists everywhere. And so the point I think is that in the aftermath of a data breach, we need to make sure that we're, you know, we're not cutting our nose off, you know, to spite our face. Certainly data breaches are wake up calls for organizations. Well, yeah, I agree. And, and certainly I don't mean this in any political sense, but I was watching this, might have been a news report the other day about school shootings and how teachers are now being given gunshot wound trauma kits and training on how to use them. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But then, you know, as an engineer and a cold-hearted bastard, my next thought was, what's the most likely way for a student to die in the care of a teacher? And I don't want the, I don't know what the stats are, but I know that a school shooting is really low on that list. And then I'm wondering, okay, what are we doing to address those other, you know, choking at lunch or anaphylactic shock or, you know, injuries in some other way? And, and I'm wondering, again, are we reacting to emotion and not statistics if our goal is truly to save lives? And 
I don't know. I really don't know because I don't have the research and the stats. But I was like, wow, we're, we have a finite amount of energy and a finite amount of resources and a finite amount of money. And I often see us in the InfoSec world, just like the rest of the world, reacting out of emotion because something got press or something has a fancy, you know, name and a mascot and a theme song and it's a you know a popular zero day when we divert our resources to go fight that when it's not our biggest threat and so i you know i'm just kind of jumping off this topic a little bit but i think these studies are important because although it's terrible to abstract life and death away into statistics if your goal is to reduce death these things matter you know for instance Self-driving cars, we, you know, they're not perfect, but we have something like 35,000 deaths a year on American roads from driving. If we could drop that by 10,000, even though self-driving cars caused, let's say, 1,000, but we reduced by 10,000, is that a net gain we want as society? Is that helpful? I mean, it, it seems sometimes like when we look at these new technologies, we're looking for a perfect solution rather than an incremental improvement mm -hmm. and incremental improvements is how things have always gone in life it's, it's how we've always done things and now we're so focused on the negative of something we're not willing to accept it for the incre incremental improvement it seems like I, I don't know where i'm going with this but I, ultimately we've got to stop reacting out of emotion and fear and start reacting out of you know statistics logic and you know moving the ball forward yeah, yeah. So, so a couple, couple things. One is I, I'm personally frustrated by the, the, uh, the trolley problem continuing to pop up in the context of self-driving cars. Because you want to kill all of them, and you can't figure out a way. <laughs> yeah, there, there was, uh, yeah, there, there's some some interesting cartoons about you know about the trolley problem. Like, you know, if we stop the train now, the you know, what about the all the people the train ran out over before you know now they died in vain um as, as a quick aside if you're not a fan of the good place one you should be it's a phenomenal show two they had a great episode about the trolley problem and uh, it's worth watching okay i'm not i've not seen that but uh, really oh you no, would love it no. i really really do think you would so uh <laughs> but yeah I, I i we consternate over you know what what would the what would the car do? You know, if it was faced with running over a kid versus an adult, what would the car do? But we lose we lose the con the context. That, you know, one of the the innate abilities of the car is to avoid that that situation in a much higher proportion of instances than a human driver could, and therefore, you know, it's lots lots less opportunity for that. But there's a there's an interesting book. I forget the name. Oh, it was Risk Savvy. That's what the name of the book is. Risk Savvy. It's by a guy named Gerd Geigerenzer. I think is how you say his name, and he calls this dread risk. So he, you know, this is the fear of the fear of flying. It's the fear. You know, he 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 defines that. I forget the exact definition he gives, but it's basically the you know the 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 high profile. You know risks, the things that you get on you you see on TV. You know people have there's lots of people. I have some friends who are, you know, who who are quite afraid of, um, you know, walking alone at night, or you know having their kids go to a park. And and the reason is that you know when if you were to watch the news, right, you would get the feeling that 
you know, people are dying all the time on airplanes. People are being kidnapped off of playgrounds all the time. People are being, you know, raped, murdered, and, and whatnot all the time. And it, obviously, all those things happen far, far too often. But the issue is that they're on the news because they are news. Yeah, what's the statistical likelihood of you encountering that in your world on any given day? Right. You know, yeah, it's terrible when it happens. But if this is, I mean, to be, again, this is cold, dispassionate discussion, but it's something that we suck at. And, and again, I think the news drives it, but the news is a reflection of what we care about as society. I'm not blaming the news, I'm blaming society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, not to get into politics at all, but Freakonomics had a really good um, chapter on this about perceived risk. And the question, and I won't get this right, so give me take it with a grain of salt, was to parents of young children. And they said, would you let your young child go play at the house across the street if you knew they had a gun versus if you knew they had a swimming pool? And far more said, no, I wouldn't let them go if, the, if I knew they had a gun than if I knew they had a swimming pool. However, statistically, the swimming pool was far more likely to kill the kid than the gun. And I'm not getting anywhere near the gun control debate. I'm purely looking at we measure risk poorly mm-hmm. because of all sorts of reasons. When the swimming pool is really the much higher percentage chance of their child being harmed or, or dying. Um, but we suck at measuring that and, and internalizing that and reacting to that. Uh, and, and then I think this is a similar thing. We, we have these innate fears that are outsized risks. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but, you know, the chances of, of being harmed or killed in a terrorist incident are infinitesimally small in the United States. Um, but we react more to that than we do to things that will more likely statistically kill us, like cancer, heart disease, cancer, heart disease, uh, car um, crashes, suicide, suicide, car crashes. And yep. I, I think it's, you know, again, I'm not, I, I don't have the right words to articulate this as well as a lot of these authors and researchers, but to me, it's like we've normalized those risks. We've accepted them. And we, you know, we, we have not, and we outsize reaction to other risks. Um, and it, it's just a weird thing. And, you know, emotion drives a lot of behavior that is illogical, but we're illogical creatures. So I'll get off my soapbox. All right. Anyhow, thanks again, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk again soon. See you. Bye-bye. See you.